It's a beautiful summer day. Good day to talk about anger. I'm kind of upset that I picked this topic. (laughs) That was a joke. Um, It's a big topic, and it seems like the, the more I dug into what the Bible had to say about anger, it was just, it took me in so many different directions, and I realized we only have four hours this morning, so uh, actually I'm going to try not to make you guys angry with me. There are about seven billion people on the earth, and there's a little gnat that's uh, children's church. Okay, I got the signal. I got, almost had some angry kids. But you are free to go to Children's Church. Thank you for being patient. The regular guy should be back next week. But there's 7 billion people on the earth and growing. And they all know something about anger. The triggers that make us angry may be different but we all understand the emotions. It's a funny thing. Can you guys, uh, can you re- remember a situation where you were really angry, like livid, super angry, but you have no idea why you were angry? I have an example like that when I was a teenager. Uh, I think I was 16 or 17. And uh, I have no idea what made me so angry. But I know the object of my anger. It was my sister. I don't know, and I don't think she's here today. (laughs) Uh, She's not here today, but uh, I know it was my sister that made me super angry. I don't remember why, what it was, but I'm pretty sure I was right. And I remember having super just the energy that comes with anger. And my sister at one point did something that infuriated me. She stopped talking. And then she locked the door in her room. So that I, all this energy that I had, had nowhere to go. You know what I'm talking about? So I did what a 17, 16-year-old boy would do. I found a way to, to utilize that energy. So I went to her door and I banged on it as hard as I could. And no response. Silence, which drives men crazy, even teenage boys. So I looked around and her name placard was was double stick to the wall and with supernatural power I grabbed that placard and I ripped it off the door I was actually surprised I could do that but it came off and it was wood and I thought I'm going to I since I can't get at my sister I'm going to take it out on this placard with her name on it That's the closest thing I could come up with to to vent my frustration. So I ran out. I didn't want to break anything because I didn't want to get in trouble with my parents. See, I was thinking, kind (laughs) of. 
So I ran outside and with all the power that I could muster, I just slammed her, her placard down on the concrete um, ground. And of course, wood doesn't break with con concrete. But I threw it down at such an angle that it bounced back and hit me on the shin. <laughs> so I felt, I felt God laughing at me from his throne in heaven. And somehow, even though I felt better, the pain in my shin brought me back down to where I needed to be. That's anger. God said in his word that it's not good for man to be alone. And so God gave man the gift of a companion, one that was suitable to him and perfect for him. And it's funny how anger causes those that are close to us to want to separate from us. Isn't that interesting? But that's what happens. That's what happens with anger. I, I looked, normally you'd say, okay, I'm going to look at Webster for the definition. But since we live in the modern age with the internet, I'm not going to go to Webster. I'm going to go to Wikipedia. So anger is described as an emotion related to one's psychological interpretation of having been offended, wronged, or denied, and a tendency to react through retaliation. That's a pretty, I think that's a pretty good description of what anger is. It is the perception, perception that I've been wronged, offended, or denied in some way. And it's the desire to retaliate. That's anger. We live in a society that's characterized by anger. All you have to do is turn on the news or turn on the sitcom. You turn on anything involving people and there's anger. I wish it were funny, but it's not. Look at sports. Sports is supposed to be fun, is it not? There's a little bug here uh, trying to get me angry. But... <laughs> Look at sports. It's supposed to be fun, but we have parents who verbally and physically abuse their kids or coaches or referees. There are a lot of... Um, I was talking to a friend of mine who's a, a baseball coach, and he told me when they have a draft, they have a draft and they, they pick the kids that are coming in, it's gotten to the point where the coaches may choose to pass on a kid because of the parents. If this kid is really talented, is it worth the parents that come with this talented kid? I'm not kidding you. This is what happens today. You got some parents who are very angry. Um, can you explain rioting after the Olympics? Or rioting after a Super Bowl because your team lost? That's an expression of anger. There was a Giants fan 
Brian Stowe that went to a game and some Dodgers fans thought that they would beat the living daylights out of him for what purpose? To resolve their anger? How about schools and universities? Surely that's safe. Um, recently in the news there was an a elderly uh, bus monitor, Karen Klein, who was a victim of bullying by four 10-year-old boys who teased her about being fat, who poked her in the gut and thought it was really funny. Where does this come from? Recently in uh, Oakland, California, uh, a Korean immigrant, one El Go, decided to vent his anger on his innocent classmates uh, and administrators, killing seven of them. In the city of Chicago, they are having a serious problem with gang warfare. There's been a 50% increase from the year before. Uh, over the Memorial Day weekend, 43 people were wounded by gunfire and 10 were shot dead. Just a few weekends ago, a seven-year-old girl named Heaven Sutton was uh, shot and killed while she's selling candy in front of her house. There's bullying at schools. There's drive-by shootings. There's a new type of bullying called cyberbullying where people get vent their anger at, through Facebook or a different kind of bullying that says, we're not going to respond to your text. We're going to cut you off. These are all expressions of anger. At work, the level of pressure at work is, uh, is tremendous. It seems like if you have a job, you have stress. Or if you don't have a job, you have stress because you don't have a job. Uh, there are descriptions in our language. You've heard the term going postal, meaning that you just go ballistic with your anger and go into your work and shoot as many people as you can. The daily commute is an opportunity for anger. There is a term called road rage. It's not a funny thing. And I'm sure that doesn't happen to anyone in this room. But I would confess to you, if I had omnipotent power, I would be guilty of murder in the road, right? If I had the power to take a car in front of me that did something that was not right and threw it asunder into the bay, I would have done it at that moment. Thank God I don't have that kind of power. But it, where does all this come from? The home is under siege. You've got domestic violence. What is that? You've got adults beating their young children. You have husbands and wives beating each other. You have cases where the women are the perpetrators of beating their husbands. Uh, there was a nine-year-old girl, uh, Savannah Harden, who for lying about eating candy, the grandmother and the stepmother made her run for three hours. She collapsed and died. 
How does that happen? Tommy Jordan uh, made the news recently because of uh, showing attitude to his fa- to her father. Tommy Jordan made a video, took her. Uh, of course, he's from Texas. He threw the laptop on the ground and fired seven bullets at the uh, laptop because he wanted to teach his daughter a lesson. I'm not sure what lesson that was. He was trying to teach, but. And it goes on and on. Politics. We have, this is an election year where we're going to vote for the President of the United States. And there's about to be hundreds, not tens, hundreds of millions of dollars on negative campaigns. So for those of you who are going to watch TV, watch out for this onslaught of negative information. Anger happens all around us. We can see it in the body language, the rolling of the eyes, shifting of the weight, being turned away, slouching, no eye contact, or verbal. Um, my daughter is going to a uh, very, uh, pr- fairly prestigious uh, middle school, high school, high school, middle school, um, academically very strong and she she came back and told us these kids they, they have just the foul mouths I mean every other word during the break is a curse word and then the verbal ones are safe because you know it you, you can see it coming the ones you really got to watch out are for the anger that is that is invisible that is wrapped up in this expression that says, don't get mad, get even. All this about anger. When was the last time you were angry? Was it this morning? Last night? I guarantee it probably wasn't that long ago that someone made you angry. And perhaps you made yourself angry. There is anger. It's pervasive in our society. And you know why? It's because of sin. What's lost in all this is that anger is not necessarily a bad thing. But anger is something that sinful man uses and, and uh, just makes the world almost unlivable. I would argue that if God did not punish man for his anger and his wickedness, that it would be a living hell. So let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about some fundamentals of anger from, from Scripture. Number one, anger is an emotion that comes from God. How do I know that? Well, we are made in the image of God. And if you look in Scripture, you'll find there are things that make God angry. What's interesting is the things that make God angry are not necessarily the things that make man angry. And hence the problem. God is perfect. God is holy. He is righteous. And when he becomes angry, it's always for the right reason. And he vents his anger in the right way. Psalm 30 verse 5 says it properly. 
For God's anger is but for a moment, but his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may last for the night, but a shout of joy comes in the morning. That's the God we serve. I would argue that man is exactly the opposite. Joy is very brief and anger seems to last forever. That's a scary thing. So point number one about anger is that it comes from God. It's part of his character. We're made in the image of God. And so that's where anger comes from, from God. A second point about anger. We look at the external, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, when the prophet Samuel is trying to figure out who's going to be the next king of uh, Israel, the, uh, and you know Samuel sees the oldest son, and he's impressive, he's tall, he's good-looking, and he looks like a king to me. And you know what uh, God says to Samuel? Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So when God's talking about anger, he's not talking about our external, what we look like from the outside or don't look like. You could look at peace on the outside and be just in turmoil on the inside. God evaluates the heart. Point number three uh, Elder Tim uh, read about it this morning. It's not a sin to be angry. It's not a sin to be angry. Ephesians 4, be angry and yet do not sin. But I would argue, who is that written to? It's written to believers. I think that's an important point. Because the reality is for humanity, it's virtually impossible to be angry and to not sin. You might be able to do it one out of a hundred times to be angry and not sin. But I would argue probably 99% of the time when you're angry, you'll probably sin. That's the nature of humanity. And there are there's a plethora of examples all around you that you can find. It is this thing about being angry and not, not remembering why you were angry. That's a clue, right? That you can be so angry and know that you hate someone so bad, but you can't remember why. And that should be a clue that something's not right. Because you need to understand what's important is the why. And to deal with that issue. We, uh, point number four, there's always a progression. And anger is part of a progression. In James chapter one, it talks about the progression of, of sin, that we're tempted by evil desires that are within us. And when we're tempted by the evil desires, that becomes sin. And when sin comes to fruition, it leads to death, even eternal death. So the question that I'm asking this morning is, okay, when does anger actually turn into a sin? Because God's word says, be angry, but do not sin. That's an important question. 
when does our anger turn into actual sin? The answer is amazingly radical. You find out in Matthew 5, this is where Jesus does his Sermon on the Mount. And he's taught, he is the king of heaven and earth. He comes to the earth. He, he states his manifesto in terms of what it's going to take to become a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And what he says is as radical today as he said it 2,000 years ago. Matthew 5, 21 to 22. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that anyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the courts. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, or transliterated raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go to, the, to fiery hell. Now some people would say Jesus was using hyperbole. He didn't really mean that. He was exaggerating to make a point. I don't think, I don't think so at all. He is literally saying that when anger in your heart turns into hatred for your brother, it is sin. You don't have to do one thing. You don't have to take any action. You don't have to have anything coming out of your mouth. But the minute that anger in your soul turns to hatred and you say in your heart, I want that person to suffer. As soon as that happens, you are guilty of sin and that sin will lead you to hell. That is what Jesus is saying. You're kidding me. That's all it takes to go to hell? And Jesus says, absolutely. Then you should say, you should drop to your knees and say, who can be saved then? Is there anybody in this room that has not been angry at a brother or sister or, or hated them in your heart? Like, I wish you get yours for hurting me. I wish you would suffer. Has anyone, is anyone in this room not guilty of that? Every single one of us stands, stands condemned. My goodness, what is God's demand? Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount by saying something that's just unbelievable. He says, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Who can do this? Who can do this? You check all the other religions of the world. They don't say anything this radical. They say, you're good, or you can become good. You just have to work at it. And Jesus comes and says, there is no way. If you once had hatred in your heart for your brother, you deserve hell. Or another way to say it, you cannot go into the kingdom of God because you would forever taint the kingdom of God. It's a fact. 
What is God's goal? It's not that we not hate. The goal is to not hate. The goal is to what? Love. It's not good enough to not hate your brother, but you have to love your brother. And how do you love a brother who is a sinner, who irritates you, who annoys you, who is difficult? I love my wife. I've been married to her for over 20 years. She annoys me sometimes. She's not here. (laughs) She's watching the little ones. She's going to hear this later though. (laughs) And the reality is I annoy her. No matter how hard I try because I'm a sinner, I annoy her. I get under her skin. So how can we have a marriage that lasts? It's by the grace of God. So let's... How are we going to figure out what to do with this anger? You know, anger is probably... I haven't researched it, but I'm willing to bet that there's more written in the Bible about anger than any other topic because it is the thing that is most pervasive in humanity. From Genesis to Revelation, you will find in every book, probably in every chapter, something about anger. Either about anger or someone getting angry or someone doing something because they're angry or someone retaliating because they were angry. So I want to take a moment and go back to the beginning. Because I think if you go to Genesis and you find out, you look at how man started, it explains a lot about what happened and why we continue to live the way that we do on this side of the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. So you don't have to go too far. Go to the beginning, go to chapter 3. Through man's disobedience, sin polluted paradise. So what happened? What's very interesting, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, there's one person who deserved to be angry. Who is that? God. How many of you have laid something out very nicely and someone came and accidentally knocked it over or something. You had this wonderful project on the computer that you forgot to save and someone came and, oops, forgot to save it and all your work is gone. Well, think of God creating Eden for man, the perfect paradise, and just one thing, just don't, Eat of the tree. Just don't eat from one tree. You've got thousands of trees, but just don't eat from this one tree. And what do they do? They eat from the one, the one tree where God said. But I challenge you to look in Genesis 3. God didn't get angry. That should tell you he's different than we are. God did not get angry over that. In fact, while man 
stupidly is trying to hide from God. I mean, think about how, how dumb that is. God says, where are you? As if he doesn't know where they are. But what does man do? Man screwed up, right? So man should confess. God, I, I'm sorry. I, I messed up. You told me not to eat of this one tree. You let us pick from these thousands of others. But we just, we were tempted and we messed up. Is that what happened? That's not what happened. So God interviews the man. That woman you gave me, that woman you gave me, she's the reason that that I screwed up. God talks to the woman. Um, The serpent. the, The serpent's the one that made me do that. See where that that came from? And you see it all around the world today. Maybe you see it in your own home with little ones or with big ones. Right? Blaming somebody else. What does that do? That creates anger. Anger. It's 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 sad what happened. We still live in the backwash of what happened in Eden. Let's go to Genesis chapter 4 with Cain and Abel. So God accepted Abel's offering and rejected Cain's. Why? Is it because, you know, I've heard some people say, well, Abel offered meat. And Cain offered vegetables. Is that why? Or the, the scriptures say that, that, that Abel offered the best, the first fruits. He, he offered God his best. And it says Cain offered some. The implication is maybe not the best. The issue was not the offering, the issue was the heart. Cain's heart was not right. And so God rejected his offering. So, who should Cain be angry at? He should have been angry at himself. And maybe you could see him being angry at God. Right? That's not fair. It's all yours anyway. But he couldn't couldn't do anything to God, right? And he loved himself to do anything about himself, so what did he do? He took out his anger and frustration on his brother who did nothing to him. Listen to what God tells him. God says in Genesis 4.4, 4, And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, 
Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, watch out because sin is crouching at the door and it desires and it desires for you, but you must master it. It's like a ravenous wolf crouching at your door. It wants to literally eat you. And that's what sin is like. It is like a ravenous wolf that just, it wants to vent this unrighteous anger. So, to vent his frustration, anger, hatred, jealousy, he took it out on his brother Abel and murdered him. That's the first crime recorded in the Bible. I'm not talking about spiritual disobeying God's command in the garden. I'm talking about crime. He, the first crime was a murder. And ever since then, anger and murder in humanity have been very closely aligned. Whenever you see anger, it's not murder is never too far away. And I think that's the connection that... Um, that Jesus makes clearly in the Beatitudes. Turn with me to the, to the latter part of Genesis chapter 4. So I know you guys, a lot, a lot of times we skip the genealogies, but there are some things that are important because there are foreshadowings, there are symbolic truths that happen. Uh, you know, it's interesting how there are these genealogies, right? And then all of a sudden it stops and says something about one of the people. How many of you know that that's a clue that that's something that you should pay attention to? So let's look at Genesis chapter 4. So I want you to see, um, right from the beginning, there is the seed Remember, there'd be enmity from the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. So it's instructive to follow the seed of the woman, Eve, and the seed of the serpent, Cain. So um, what you see, we don't have time to go through it, but the seed of the serpent, you have Adam, you have Cain, you have Enoch, you have Erod, Mehujael, Methushael, and Lamech. Lamech is the seventh born from the seed of the serpent. And he has a very brief comment to make in uh, Genesis chapter 4, 23. Lamech said to his wife, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech. Give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech, 77-fold. Now you might think, why is that even in the Bible? That doesn't seem like anything very important. It's actually quite important. If you know something about uh, Hebrew poetry, there are parallels, right? You notice uh, Hebrew was the language that was to be spoken. And so they would repeat things, but they would change it slightly to help you understand the meaning. So let me give you an example. 
So he starts out with, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice. You wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech. You see how that repeats? So what you, what you get here is that Ada and Zillah are their names. Now you know names are very important in the Bible. Right? Whenever a name is mentioned in the Bible, it's significant. When a name is not mentioned, by the way, it's also very significant. So Lamech says, Ada and Zillah, you wives of the Lamech. So how does he view these women? For who they are? No, they are his object. They're my, you are, your identity is you belong to me. That is the attitude of sinful man. Not you are created wonderfully in God's image. You are mine. I dominate you. You see that attitude today in this world? This type of attitude that you wives of Lamech, that is your identity. You belong to me, I own you. It's that type of behavior. So then he says, for I have killed a man for wounding me. So it sounds like... Okay, I had a hand-to-hand combat with the man and he wounded me, so I want to retaliate. But the next verse gives it away. A boy for striking me. He didn't fight a man, he fought a boy. It was not a man-to-man combat, it was... A boy that maybe brushed up against him, bumped him, got in his way. And what does he say? This is very important. If Cain is avenged seven times, that was in the earlier part of of the verse, then Lamech is 77 times. Why is this significant? This is the fruit of man's anger. This explains blood feuds, right? This is what's happening in Mexico right now, where if you kill one of mine, I'm going to kill 20 of yours. So you realize this is what man's anger does. Man says, you step on my toe and I'm going to take you out. It's a frightening thing. This is what we're talking about. This is what I like to call the Rambo mentality. For those of you that that know what I'm talking about, right? Don't get Rambo upset because he is going to destroy an entire nation. How many movies are there about this type of revenge? You kill my daughter and I am going to kill your entire organization. And what is it about that that just feeds our soul, right? Oh, yeah. You know why? Because we know that there's injustice in this world. And the temptation is to take matters into our own hands and to avenge it and be like Rambo. But that's actually the worst thing you could do. How else can you explain a religion that says, sacrifice yourself 
kill as many of theirs as you can and you will go to heaven and get 72 virgins and you'll live like a king. What kind of sick idea is that? That you could kill innocent people and go to heaven? But there are religions that are like that. People make fun of uh, Deuteronomy 19.21. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a, a foot for a foot. Do you realize that God is talking about justice? If you kill one person and we investigate and we find out that you murdered that person, you deserve to die. It doesn't mean if you, if you cut someone's foot off, you deserve to die. Right? There's justice. The difference between God and man is that God is about justice and man is about revenge. Most of the movies out there are about revenge and about punitive revenge. Not just justice, but I'm going to make you and your entire generation for all time suffer. And that's a scary thing about man. In contrast, if you look at the seed of, uh, seed of the woman, you know who the seventh seed of, uh, of, the, of the woman is? I give you, uh, go look it up. It's Enoch. And you know what happened to Enoch? He went to be with the Lord. The seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Their destinies are going to be in very different places. Genesis chapter 6, the spread of wickedness, sin and man's anger. So within ten generations of Adam, it says in Genesis 6, 5, 8, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I've made them. Thank goodness for verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You know, Noah was the tenth in the line from Adam of the seed of woman. And he was not perfect either, by the way. So this is the story of man. This is why there's such we have an anger problem. Because of sin because our wickedness, because our desire for revenge. Fifteen, twenty years ago, Tom Petty wrote an anthem for the baby boomer generation. He wrote in a song, You can stand me up to the gates of hell, but I won't back down. Gonna stand my ground won't be turned around and I'll keep this world from dragging me down gonna stand my ground and I won't back down there's a piece of that that really 
resonates with our souls, doesn't it? Like, you can't make me do something. And you want to know something? It's true. It is true. God, in all his power, in all his omniscience, he cannot force you to love him. You can't force anybody to love you. You can make people do all kinds of things. You can make them kill their loved ones by force. You can make them eat nasty things. You can make people do all sorts of crazy, maniacal things, but you cannot force anybody to love you. The question I have is, why does God care? Why does he care? Because he is love. And it causes him tremendous grief. But he is love. Let's look at some representative examples of anger. I literally could go through every book in the Bible and give you examples of anger, but we don't have time. Let's look at Pharaoh in, the, in Exodus. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but you go back and look at that. This is unbelievable, right? Pharaoh got a front row seat to the power of the God of heaven and earth. He got to experience ten plagues that were obviously done by an incredible God. So, he repented and said, sorry, sorry for being such a dimwit. Oh God, I'm, I, I'm on my hands and knees. Please forgive me. What a knucklehead. See the problem with man's anger? You realize, and you go study it, the first nine plagues, the first nine plagues were warnings to Pharaoh. If you don't repent, judgment will surely come. And he kept changing his mind because of his pride and his anger. He refused to submit. And we found out the tenth plague was the one that really got to him. We found out what he really loved more than anything else. It was his son and it was his legacy. God gave him nine opportunities to repent and he refused. And so God, he was more than fair. He gave Pharaoh nine opportunities to turn around, humble himself and repent and he refused to. You want to know what's more incredible than Pharaoh? What's more unbelievable than Pharaoh are the Pharisees in the time of Jesus. The Pharaohs saw God at a distance, right? Saw shock and awe. It was obvious, but it was still at a distance. But who was Jesus? He was God in the flesh. 
And they got to see him face to face. They saw the miracles. There are so many miracles in the Gospels, you can't even count them. The Pharisees studied the scriptures. They knew where he was going to be born. They didn't bother to go, but they knew where he was supposed to be born. They hated the one that was promised in the scriptures. And what did they do? They crucified him. How is that possible? How is it possible that the anger of man could cause us to kill the Son of God? There has to be a judgment for this. So if you study the Gospels, what you will find, just go to the Gospel of John. What God invariably does and what Jesus always does is he, he strips us bare and exposes what is in our heart. He exposes not the anger, but the root of the anger. So what is the, ang- what is the root of the anger in the Pharisees? One, John 3.19, they love darkness rather than light. They love getting money on the side swinging deals so that they could become rich without having to pay taxes. Another one, John 11:48, they feared that they would lose their place and nation. They love that more than God himself. They love their place. They like being in control. They would they love that more than embracing the king. What's John 12:43 we find out they love the approval of men rather than God. They love being impressed with one another and getting applauded and recognized, oh there goes the rabbi. They love that more than they love God. And the and the most stinging indictment in the gospels of the Pharisees in response to Pilate's Query, shall I crucify your king? You know how they answered? This is the most unbelievable. They said, we have no king but Caesar. Is this made up? Are people really like this? There's something that's even more shocking than this. Go to Revelation. Revelation chapter 20. After the thousand year millennial reign, this is when Jesus comes on the earth and he reigns. And there is, we have a king who is perfect and makes perfect justice, knows all things, and he rules the earth for a thousand years. What happens? Revelation 27 through 9. 
When the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for war. War against who? Jesus, who's been on the throne for a thousand years, who is the Son of God. So, one or two people join this rebellion? No, it says, the number of them is like the sand of the seashore. And they come up to the broad plain of the earth, surround the camp of the saints and the beloved city, the new Jerusalem. This is, this is funny, actually. And fire came down from heaven and devoured them. So Satan, Satan is locked away for a thousand years. Jesus reigns on the earth for a thousand years. He does everything right. We finally have a king on the earth that is perfect. Satan is let loose after a thousand years. And within moments, he gathers an army that's ready to rebel against King Jesus. And the Bible says, And fire came down from heaven and wiped them out. And that's that. God doesn't get emotional. He doesn't plead. There's no more room for pleading. God has given man every opportunity to repent. And then comes the great white throne of judgment where everyone will be judged. And you know what? If it weren't for our, for the work of Jesus, every human being would be condemned for all eternity. That's the kind of God that we serve who loves us so much that he didn't give of his possessions. He gave his only begotten son. This is bad news. Is there any hope? Can anyone be saved? If this is really true, that this is the destiny of man, Micah 6.8 As they were hoping for the promised Messiah Micah 6.8 is still true today He has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you but to do justice to love kindness and mercy and to walk humbly with your God that is what God desires. We've talked a lot about the external manifest- manifestations of anger. But you have to get to the root of anger. You know, in an ironic way, anger is a gift from God. I would say if you're angry, there's hope for you. If you're not angry and you're just numb and have no feeling whatsoever, you're in a scary place. As long as you have the ability to be angry, there's, there's hope. Think of anger as a warning indicator. When you're angry, it tells you something is wrong. Something is not right in my soul. The problem is the way we interpret is messed up because of sin. But anger is involuntary, right? God has given us this. It is a dangerous thing to suppress anger. 
There's too many examples of that in life. What is the root of anger? Is it disgust? Is it annoyance? Is it frustration? Is it irritation? Those are external. Suppressed anger, that's when you feel nothing. Even when you should feel angry, you don't. A psychologist said that anger, um, anger turned upon yourself leads to depression. You see someone who's depressed and chances are they have taken anger and directed it at themselves. You know, there are times when it's appropriate to be angry. When you see injustice, especially against the weak and the vulnerable and the widows and the orphans, you should be angry. That should make you angry. When you see a nation that is destroying unborn babies, that should make you angry. If it doesn't, then something's wrong with you. But when you're angry, watch out, because what we do with anger will so often lead to sin. And this is where we need wisdom. But it's not wrong to be angry. So what are the internal emotions that we've got to watch out? There's a lot to consider, but it could be insecurity. It could be disappointment. It could be sadness, fear, confusion, betrayal, feeling vulnerable, self-conscious, being jealous, being envious, guilty, humiliated, feeling used, taken for granted, embarrassed, anxious, feelings of inferiority, regretful, panicked, put down, shamed. It makes a difference what is the source of your anger. You know, we, this is where sin has really messed us up. I, I learned when you go to a refrigerator and you open it, you have to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Is it because I'm hungry? Then you're in the right place. If you're opening the refrigerator because you're bored, because you're lonely, because you're missing something, you are in the wrong place. You have to understand the root of your anger. You have, otherwise you, you treat it the wrong way. So why do I start with that? Because I, you need to know that it's easy to, to get wrong. Right? If you're lonely, getting angry at someone will make you more lonely. You see my point? If you feel shamed, that may cause you to be angry at yourself. And then God made the body of Christ to come and help you understand that you are loved unconditionally. But if you isolate yourself, then you, you remove yourself from God being able to heal the pain that's inside you. Start with that. Uh, the most important thing that this points out is we need a Savior. Without a Savior, man has no hope. It's just, it's going to get worse, people. 
If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, today is the day of salvation. You need to come out front after the service and you need, you need a Savior because there is no hope apart from the Savior. You have to know that you have to repent and confess Jesus Christ as Lord because as Ecclesiastes says, God will judge all peoples. And the thing that will, will send people to hell is not their wicked behavior, but the fact that they have rejected the one true Savior, who is the Lord Jesus. A third thing that's critical is that we have to daily confess our sins and release our anger every day. We have to start with looking in the mirror. Before we start dealing with all the other people that irritate us, we have to start looking in the mirror. But assuming that we have Jesus as our Savior, what a glorious promise in 1 John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But how can we confess our sins if we're not clear what we've sinned? That's why I talked, search your soul. Have you, have you, did you have hatred towards your brother? Confess that. Have you looked lustfully upon a a woman? Confess that. It's not just the fact that you haven't committed adultery, it's that you have an issue in your mind and you've got to know what to confess. And it may take time. Then you can address what Ephesians says, be angry but do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. So much the anger is vented through our tongue. Isn't it funny? The tongue is the only instrument that gets sharper with use. The more you use it, the sharper it gets. That's why Psalm says, be basically shut up and know that I am God. Quit flapping your mouth and humble yourself and listen to me and what the Bible has to say. Then, once you've confessed your sins, then you've got to forgive. If you... If you have not had your sins forgiven, you cannot forgive. It's not possible. Not from your heart. And this is why it's so important that you get right with God. Because in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, where Peter says, you know, I love Peter. He says, how many times should I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And Jesus responds, no, Peter. Seventy times seven, or just a gigantic number. When you realize that you've been forgiven the incalculable incalculable amount for your sins, only then can you turn around and forgive. Because the reality is, from a human perspective, You owe some people because you did evil to them. And other people owe you 
because they did evil to you. But there's this, so we like to keep score, a lot of us, mentally or in our heart. But when, when God raises our view and says, I have forgiven you the billions, not billions, what is the cost of eternal life? What is that worth? You can't count that. So when God says, I've forgiven you everything, every sin, every evil thought, everything that you, you was in your brain or could, you could imagine, I have forgiven you. When you realize that, you can forgive the couple bucks that your friend or enemy did to you. And I don't want to trivialize that because some people have been very abusive and they've done evil. But you have to know that God promises he will take care of that. The Bible warns us if we don't forgive, if we don't forgive, we will be handed over to the torturers. We will hand ourselves over to the torturers and they will eat us alive. Do you want freedom or do you want to live in an invisible cage? Finally, utilize the resources that God has given you. God has given us the ability to pray to him, to read his word. God has given us the body of Christ. You know, sometimes we can't see. We can't see that we're angry. You know, it's a, how many times do I have to tell you I'm not angry? Uh, I think you are. We need people in our lives to hold us accountable. Apart from Christ, there's no hope. But in Christ, even with anger and just the tremendous amount of anger in this world, there is that ray of hope. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, You and I are salt and light in a dark and dying world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word because it is an expression of your love for us. Lord, in ourselves, we are objects of wrath and we deserve nothing but punishment for all eternity. But thanks be to you, we have the ability to not only be saved in the life to come, but to have a life of abundance, even in this life, that's dying and and getting worse. Lord, I pray that you would use us to be salt and light, to make a difference. Lord, there are so many people who are angry and they're angry because they've been hurt they've been abused they've been they've been uh, subject subjected to evil lord help us to look beyond the ex- external and help us to look uh, on the inside and help us to love people even the difficult ones that you've put into our lives i pray that you'd help us to go and and quicken your truth through the power of your spirit For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.